0: Take a city boy from Budapest and a country girl from small-town Hungary, and it's likely to be a memorable night for all, especially when they entertain their American guests. There's always a good reason in Hungary to come
1: together to your favorite winery and enjoy the
0: evening. I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, two friends from Hungary guide us into the customs of their country's smaller towns where the wine and goulash are always part of the festivities.
2: If it's a big thing, let's say you celebrate uh, the birth of a baby, then you bring in a gypsy band, you cook goulash, stew and things like that. So it's heavy, heavy, heavy.
0: And tour guide Anne Doig takes us through the islands and the highlands of Scotland where the landscape does its magic like nowhere else.
3: They're so ancient, particularly further up in the northwest where it gets really, really rugged. And if you climb some of those hills, it makes all your problems seem a little smaller because these hills have been around for so long. Join us for some countryside
0: charm in Hungary and Scotland. It's travel with Rick Steves. Most smaller countries have one major city that serves as the portal for visitors. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're heading beyond the attractions of Budapest and Edinburgh to delve deeper into the personalities of small-town Hungary and Scotland. That's where the people and their traditional ways of life survive and have a chance to calm down busy American tourists, at least after a few days. We'll explore the Scottish highlands and islands in a bit. Let's start by taking a detour beyond Budapest into the back roads that lead us to the thermal spas and wineries of small-town Hungary. I'm a sucker for the big, great capitals of Europe. And when you go to Central Europe, you got Budapest. You go to Budapest and you think, oh, I've been to Hungary. Well, of course you've been to Hungary when you go to Budapest, but there's there's so much more. And the challenge for us travelers is to get beyond the capital cities. And today I want to talk about Hungary beyond Budapest. And I'm joined by two Hungarians, Italka Barretz and Peter Poltzman. Italka and Peter, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. You know, when I think about Hungary, a lot of countries are dominated by one great city. It seems Hungary is really dominated by Budapest.
1: That's definitely true. And sometimes it's a big problem because uh, we are so centralized. All the workplaces uh, are in Budapest. And all the best schools, all the businesses
0: in Budapest. And it seems like the roads and the the trains, they all lead to Budapest.
2: It has historic reasons because Budapest used to govern a much bigger empire, half the Austro-Hungarian monarchy. And you can find those big cities that are outside the border now that used to be part of Hungary. That's why everything is so centralized because those big cities
0: were at ah, one point. So apart. Budapest was designed in the 19th century to rule That's a true. bigger empire. When you help start a world war, you guys lose your <laughs> empire, right? Well, yeah. we lost in the
2: last 500 years, so we know what it <laughs> oh, takes to, to lose and what it means to lose. <laughs> we were always
1: on the loser side.
0: <laughs> oh, come on. I love going to Hungary because I get to hang out with a rich culture and it always just rearranges my expectations. Everything is surprising. Now, italica. You're a country girl. I am a country girl. Tell me about your homeland or your hometown.
1: Well, my hometown is near the wine region, near Eger. It's called Tornamiro. I call it the middle of the universe. It's a cute little place uh, with 2,000 people where the life is traditional. We love to come together with the neighbors. Everybody knows each other. And when I'm away for a week and I come home, hey girl, where on earth have you been? We
0: haven't seen you. (laughs) So is it true in, like in many countries, when you go to the countryside, you find the more traditional lifestyles in Hungary? Uh,
1: So, so. But uh, life-size is still more traditional
0: than in the capital, yeah. yeah. And Peter, where are you from?
2: Uh, Budapest, I'm a city boy So uh, that's the total opposite and, yeah. um, I relate to this whole uh, Traditional Hungarian culture in, in a different way So I know we talked about this With Atta, But she rides a horse And horse riding for me Is sort of a wow So it's you're like, the big city boy And Atelka's the, is the horse
0: riding boy. Little town girl yeah. Now a thousand years ago The Magyars were like Many barbarian tribes mm-hmm. Romping around From all over From almost east part of Russia Right? Yep. Yeah And they came like So many bully tribes trampling on whoever was there first, mm-hmm. and, and they finally decided to settle down in the Carpathian Basin. Why did they choose that place?
2: There's many, many stories. One is probably true. The other one is even truer, if you can put it that way. But the uh, legend says that uh, the Hungarians uh, were wandering all through the steppards, and then there was a bird, uh, the so-called bird, flying above, above their head, and it had a uh, sword. And then it suddenly dropped the sword, which indicated to the Hungarians that they should settle in the Carpathian Basin. They said they found the best place on earth, the paradise, because there was good grass for the horse. That actually stands for the green colour in our flag. Huh. Um, they found rivers there as well it, it was a fertile land And Hungarians being nomads That was vital to, to, the, to Yeah, if they
0: come over from Mongolia culture. Or wherever They needed a grass for their horses And, right. and rivers mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. So the, the bird was right uh, We fine. found the right, right place And it dropped the sword And every single time you see the bird It's depicted with that sword in its claws. And
0: that, as a Hungarian, you look at that and you remember your forefathers coming over yeah. and oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where they did it. So to take a quick blitz around the country, if, of course, you've got to go to Budapest and spend a few days in Budapest. Then, you know, Budapest is the transportation hub, so everything's just a one- or two-hour train or bus ride away. Uh, the most famous place might be the Danube Bend, but my experience is it's a little overrated. There's some great castles and churches there, but it's uh, quite touristy and you can do better. Most people find Eger, Sopron, and Pech the three best cities. My experience, Sopron is just almost on the border with Austria. It feels quite Austrian. Eger has lots of history. It's got the most western minaret, I believe, in Europe. Is yeah. that true? Northern. I northern, think northern. Northern. Most northern. northern most. It's got the most northern minaret in Europe. A reminder that uh, Muslim Ottomans came this far as they threatened Vienna. And Page was my big discovery last summer. P-E-C-S, right?
2: P-E-C-S. Uh, some people might have heard uh, the city's name because last year it was the cultural capital of Europe, together with uh, St. Germany. And it's a fantastic city because it's right at the border with Hungarian culture, Balkan culture. It's it's big enough to be exciting for a couple of days. So you find interesting things there. You find a lot of minarets and, and Turkish Ge- things. The Jolene porcelain. And Jolene porcelain, which is really unique. The whole Hungary at the turn of the century was covered with these colorful uh, Jolene porcelain. This is porcelain. sort of a...
0: Baked, colorful, what is jaune?
2: Um, um, I think they called the material pyrogranate, meaning that it's light, but it's a durable material. It was their invention in the, in the late 1800s. And um, Very and they,
0: colorful, very sort of organic and art nouveau or yeah, something like that. If you this.
2: know Gaudi in Spain.
0: Gaudi would love that. Yeah, right. Gaudi would have loved it. Itelka, when people come to Hungary and they think about the countryside, they say, if you cut the ground, you find hot water.
1: That's true. And uh, I told you I'm a country girl and in my uh, village, there is a hot spring. People were looking for oil and all of a sudden uh, the hot water appeared and not far from our location, uh, one of the most beautiful hot spring uh, and bath. It's called Eger Saluk and great place to enjoy your weekend. Uh, just uh, five miles mm. away from Eger.
0: So this is the town of Eger, E-G-E-R. Eger-Solok. Eger-Solok. Eger-Solok, yes. There's a big city of Eger.
1: A big city, yes. And this in is Eger, nearby. Yes, in Eger itself, there is a good uh, bath, uh-huh. a hot spring, and uh, just uh, four miles away from Eger, in Eger-Solok, uh, it's salt, uh, a salt A mineral spa.
0: Mineral spa, uh, that's A right. mineral spa. Mineral now, spa. Peter, you're in the big city. I know Budapest has great spas, but if you want to go to the countryside and have a spa experience, what is that like? What do you do?
2: It's actually very similar to what you find in Budapest. Actually, Hungary altogether has got about a thousand hot springs. We only use one tenth, uh, but that still means that we've got a hundred. And that's that's a great thing to enjoy the countryside. Honestly, Budapest is hungry in many ways, but you have to go beyond that to see the whole country. And then the best thing to enjoy is the hot water, wine and hot water,
0: compulsory things in the countryside. Wine and hot water. Uh, So first you soak in the water, and then you're already so relaxed, and you have some wine.
2: You know what? It's a long weekend, right? Uh, You leave Budapest (laughs) on Friday. Uh, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, you soak yourself in the hot water. And you can do that in caves. There's caves with hot water where you can swim. There's a hot lake. There's a lake with hot water close to Lake Boloton. So you just soak yourself in the morning, in the afternoon, evening. Have a big meal, listen to some cheering music, right? Some dancing, and dancing, yeah. pálinka, unicum, it's a couple to do drinks.
0: I can't believe it. It's I got awesome. I got two Hungarians at my table must here, and they're both do. going crazy, <laughs> reminiscing about drinking wine and soaking in the hot springs. Oh so. yeah, we <laughs> have the same experience. I
2: talked about the uh, the people finding all. Actually, my dad worked for the Hungarian oil company in the 60s, and we were building this mighty big communist, you know, economy, which never worked. And 50 uh, percent they found out. What and they said, "Oh God, not hot water again!" And we now we think they found gold <laughs> back in days, They all want, wanted to find uh, oil and gas. So and they had, kept
0: looking for oil, and they kept finding yeah, hot water. And then
2: hot water. Oh God, not again! Not again! Yeah. Not again! So.
0: But then now they live happily ever <laughs> yeah, after. You got yeah. this great wine. You got these great spots. And they
1: believe or not, there is always a good reason in Hungary to come together to a wine region like yeah. Sarok. and as Peter mentioned, go to the bath, then come to your favorite winery. And enjoy the evening.
2: What kind of food would you have? Would there be music? And- First of all, everyone's got their own wine cellar. So you make your own wine. You're oh, a proud really. wine cellar owner. My grandpa had a small one just right under the house.
0: Do you have friends when you get invited over, you know, you're going to drink their family's yeah, wine? Yeah. And actually, sometimes they're not good wine and sometimes they're oh, good yeah, wine. Oh yeah. So you got <laughs> to go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I won't say my friend's name, but he actually just got into
2: winemaking. He's 20, 22 or three and, uh, his, his grandpa was making wine. So he makes the most terrible wine. And oh God, it's, <laughs> <laughs> cause if you get invited over there you have to drink have this to. wine and then you you actually don't start with the wine you start with palinka which is that heavy fiery um, brandy over there so you start with a shot of palinka you have bogacha then which yeah. which would be salty bread scones something mm-hmm. like that and then if it's a big thing let's say you celebrate uh, the birth of a baby then you bring in a gypsy band you cook goulash stew and things mm-hmm. like that so it's heavy 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 <laughs> but i think you need the heaviness over there
0: Either because the wine is good or, or because it's bad. Okay, we know Peter's got a friend where you, you just cringe or you have to go over there and drink his wine. Telka, who's your friend who has good wine? When you get invited, you know we're going to have some family wine that's very good.
1: Yes, uh, my friend is, the best friend is Kohari. Yeah. And uh, whenever we have a kind of family gathering, we come to his uh, cellar. And usually we have a kind of one pot meal. And a one-pot meal. One-pot meal. It's a goul-
0: goulash? A goulash, for yeah. example. Right. Yes,
1: and uh, as Peter mentioned, with some pogadja. What pogaggio. kind of
0: goulash? Hungarian, uh, Hungarian goulash. Hungarian all right. Goulash, yes. <laughs> okay, what I, is your friend's name?
1: Uh, Kohari, Istvan and, Kohari. And
0: he's he makes his own wine.
1: He makes his own wine, one That's of the, the best wine, the best wine. So if you come I, I will take you there to all right, uh, all right. taste. And we call wine tasting, but whenever we taste we drink wine. It means that we You uh, don't just taste. five you. or six different kinds yeah, of wine. And the quantity yeah. I
2: think increases by the time, right? Yeah. right after the hour, the, the
0: glass is not just half full. It's But if <laughs> if this guy is proud of his wine, he's happy that oh, you're here. Oh yes. You're Uh,
1: the grandparents used to make the wine and we are Ah, very proud it's the family recipe going from generation
0: to generation
1: and they are very proud of uh,
0: now Peter you said if you're having a great party you invite a gypsy band yeah very often how do you get a gypsy band well, it's, it's not a difficult thing. I mean, I don't know how I would get a gypsy band. If I was having a party, <laughs> anymore, no. I don't know what I would do. You can actually get a gypsy band in a small town in Hungary? I'm, I'm 100% <laughs> sure that they are online these
2: days, so it, it doesn't take too much to book a gypsy band. But uh, usually in the in the village, there's the guy that you turn to, and then he would recruit the band. You might not get the same members, but everyone plays a violin. Everyone plays the double bass. So the family comes together. They decide who's at home, and then and then you would get four or five people together. So, so, it's, so. Like,
0: it's like homemade music, homemade wine, homemade Goulash, many generations That's all right. together Friends, in the village. Grandparents everybody together, everybody, Yeah, wow.
1: Imagine my daughter's uh, so-called matura after the matura exam. She was 18 years old, and we organized a dinner and a meeting at uh, the Koharis cellar, and it was a great party. Believe me. Start with the 50 proof palinka, and then the wines. <laughs>
0: You guys know how to party. Mm-hmm. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're not sightseeing in Hungary, we're life seeing in Hungary right now, <laughs> I think. And we're getting out of the big city. I'm joined by Peter Poltzman and Italka Berets, two friends of mine who are uh, working as tour guides in Hungary. <laughs> We'll take a closer look at family vacations on Lake Balaton and learn more about the character of rural Hungary in just a moment. We're at 877-333-7425. By email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. Thanks for joining us. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Islands and islands of Scotland are calling us to escape into a wee bit of rural wonder. We'll head there in just a bit. Right now on Travel with Rick Steves, we're lingering in the small towns and countryside of Hungary, away from busy Budapest, with Peter Poltzman and Itelka Perina-Beretz. Our phone number's 877-333-RICK. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Jim's on the line in Clarksboro, New Jersey. Jim, thanks for joining us.
4: Hi, Rick. How are you? Great. What are
0: your thoughts on Hungary?
4: Well, a few years ago, we decided to kind of split our time between Budapest and out into the uh, out into the countryside, and we we found a um, a timeshare down at Lake Balaton. Now, Lake Balaton in the Soviet era was kind of the Soviet Eastern Europe resort.
0: Yeah, it's where everybody it's where, went on vacation.
4: Yeah, and and you know, the people that were owed favors were sent down there, and they all had a good time. So it, it has the infrastructure. This is, uh, by the
0: way, this is the big lake in Hungary, Lake Balaton. B A L A T O N.
4: Yes, sir. And it is a big lake. It's a landlocked country,
0: so that's the sea.
4: Yeah.
0: How was your experience but, on Lake Balaton?
4: It, it was wonderful. I mean, it was very different than being in Budapest, which was, you know, very urban and, and really quite nice. But, you know, we several times went off. One day we went all, all the way around the lake, stop for a couple of restaurants that were overlooking the lake, but it's, it's a full-day affair to uh, circumnavigate the lake.
0: Was that with local people? Were there a lot of people vacationing there? What, what was it like?
4: Um, we usually travel in the shoulder season, and so there was not a lot of, lot of people vacationing. We ran into a lot of people just in their everyday, you know, workday kind of thing.
0: I get the sense that a lot of wealthy people retire on Lake Balaton. Etelka, what what is Lake Balaton today? I know in the in the communist times, this is where all the workers would get to go on vacation. I mean, it seems like every country in the Warsaw Pact had one place where you went, with the same cameras, yeah. and the same the, the same shoes and the same swimming suits, and you. You relaxed, it and was, then you go back to work. Yes,
1: It was the meeting point of the West German, East German families, because uh, here where they could meet... Ah, the West Germans times, and East Germans the, could
0: yeah. go to Hungary because Hungary had that special relationship. Yeah, yeah. And oh, okay.
1: I remember as a, as a child, uh, I spent the summer holidays at the Lake Balaton. It was Absolutely free for us, like pioneers, to go to the Lake Balaton.
0: Free meaning what? Free holiday.
1: Yes, we didn't sponsors, have to pay. The state you didn't have to pay. Because the state.
0: You were in the little communist Girl Scouts. That's right. Okay, so hey, let's go to Lake Balaton. And what did you do there?
1: Of course, we cooked our meal yeah. on ourselves, and we lived uh, camping or uh, in a, in a, in a yes, big hostel. In a, no, in the camping. We put camping. up our tents, yeah. and we went to swim every day. Enjoyed life.
0: That's a good time. It was really good. Now, when you go time. back today, do you have a nostalgia? Yes, of course. Tell me (laughs) Uh, about the nostalgia. uh,
1: I've got very good feelings, and I feel a kind of security about those days. We didn't have a lot of food because we uh, didn't go to the shops to buy everything. I remember in the village we had watermelon, and a lorry of watermelon came to the Lake Balaton. A big truck full of watermelon. A big truck, yes, for the whole week, so we had watermelon after
0: every meal. Do you have watermelon seed fights? When I was a child we used to spit <laughs> seeds on each other. Do you do that in Hungary? Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, what are your memories of Lake Balaton? Um,
2: I went there as a Boy Scout as well. There was actually a whole town built for the Boy Scouts, Zanko. Yeah. And right now it's uh, the, wait a second.
0: There's a whole town built for the mm-hmm. for the pioneers, the, for the Boy the Scouts. the communist yeah. Boy Scouts, the yeah. pioneers. Yeah. And I was
2: yeah. there, I remember fifth grade. I cried at the end. It was so good, actually, honestly. So this <laughs> quite was quite effective I propaganda. You go like, uh, I
0: like living I, in this country. I haven't we got, got <laughs> nostalgia for the <laughs>
2: communist times. I'm I'm way too young for that. But I, I have got fond memories of of going to What I want to say about Lake Balaton That's actually one of the places That might appeal to people with families um, Mm -hmm. Because um, it's a bit laid back But you can rent bikes with almost all the hotels There's a bike road around the whole
0: lake Laid back is the perfect word For Balaton I find it's it's almost like (laughs) Valium
2: Yeah, You slow down, you definitely slow down You don't want to rush there So uh, families you can just drive there. It's easy to find rooms. You don't even need to book hotels. You just look for Zimmer frei, the, the usual German phrase that they used back in the late 70s, early 80s fry means not room for free because right. you have to pay, but it's cheap. And, uh, rooms available. Rooms available. So, so this do, is the bed, the bed and breakfast. Thing. Bed and breakfast, basically. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So anybody could go to Balaton and just for 50 bucks a night, maybe 50 euros. Could
2: yeah, be. and enjoy everything that we talked about. The wine, the uh, hot water, the lake as well. The southern shore is more of a family place and is really shallow. The northern has got most, wine uh, more wine regions and, and a bit of history Hispanic.
0: as well. Hey, Jim in Clarksboro, New Jersey, does that match your experience there or what, what would you contribute?
4: It it sure did, and um, we even went to that large heated lake. um, Havies.
0: What is it called? Havies, H-E-V-I-Z, right? A heated lake. Wow, tell me about a heated lake.
4: It it, it was not as hot as some of the heated hot springs that I've been to around the world, but, uh, you know, it's just kind of a mellow sort of natural lake that that you go out and float in.
0: So mellow and laid-back, that's how you describe the Bolotan area? Yes, (laughs)
4: Yes,
0: very extreme. Very. All right, Jim. Thanks for your call. Can I add just one thing? If
2: you actually want more active things in uh, that in that Heavis Lake is supplied by five hot springs, but you can actually scuba dive in the lake. Oh, can you? And then and then you go down there, and then you find a tunnel that you go through, and then you can you can stay in a in a cave. You know, if you want to turn it into a more active
0: experience, you can. But of course, you can just simply enjoy and relax. Now, maybe this relates to an email we got from Ali in Keene, New Hampshire. Ali writes, In 2009, I visited Miss Kulch and loved it. No tourists, no thieves. Just a lovely thermal bath in Tapolcha in a cave tunnel. The city looks like southern Germany. I saw an incredible costume exhibit in the city's old fort. The guidebooks call this city the Rust Belt city, so most of the tourists and the pickpockets don't even bother going there. Do you know this place, Tupulca. Tupulca. And mm-hmm. she's talking about cave tunnels. What is that? Yeah,
2: there's a, there's a cave that you actually swim in. It's the same hot spring, similar but thing in a that cave. we're talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: okay, and this must be uh, quite a theme around around Hungary. How do you make your mineral spa a little more extra?
2: Well. <laughs>
1: With the massage, for with example, massage. Uh, most of the uh, around the hot spas, you definitely can go for a best massage. All right, before coming to the States, I event.
0: <laughs> I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're, I, we're getting a little hedonistic here in Hungary. Ruined right. pubs are something that are a trend all over Hungary now, I think.
2: That's true. Um, and it's Budapest and the countryside. A uh, lot of old buildings were um, just simply going down, and people were not buying them. So, uh, the people who lived in there. Had to leave it. And then pubs moved in. They simply occupied the courtyard, fixed it to the point that it wasn't collapsing. And then it was shabby, trendy uh, so the Trendy, shabby,
0: yeah. It's intentionally unfinished, yep. M- mismatching chairs. Yeah, yeah. So a bunch of young entrepreneurs move in and they get famous for their music and their drinks and their munchies. Yeah. In
2: Budapest, around the synagogue, the former Jewish district, you find a lot of them, various cities. Very nice too. to meet
0: Hungarian young people in a ruined pub. If you go travelling around Hungary, do you just is it termed a ruined pub? Yep, in Hungarian we would call
2: it Romkocma, which is uh, the translation like ruined a, a, a ruined mm-hmm.
0: building that's been mm-hmm. inhabited by an entrepreneur that's selling drinks and light meals. Yep. Italka, why would somebody go to Eger?
1: Uh, definitely for the wine. One of the reasons, one of the most famous wines is a bikavér or bull's blood. It's a blend, and the other reason for the uh, bath we were talking about, the hot bath or hot the bath. Turkish bath. And the architecture of and and Imre Makovac? Yes, Imre Makovets, the organic architecture. And one of his buildings, the swimming pool, was uh, built by Imre Mokovets And the organic uh, architecture is very Hungarian. And in the communist times, uh, he was denied access to building materials. So he taught himself how to build uh, buildings just by using uh, wood and uh, So he was,
0: because he was so creative and he didn't play by the rules, he was denied material. That's right. And he found a way to ad-lib materials. So was most of his work done before 1990 or after
1: 1990? Uh, I would say started before 1919 and uh, he's still working. So now
0: he's post-communist Hungarian architecture. He's the man.
1: And uh, And his name is
0: Makovets. Makovets. Peter, in the countryside, single best way to make friends with Hungarian people.
2: Uh, be open minded. Uh, say a few words in Hungarian. See ya is the easiest one. Um ya. See What does that mean? It's Hello? The, the Hungarian chow. Yeah. Ciao. It works both ways. Uh, Hello, goodbye. Aloha. Hello, and goodbye. Aloha. Like, like
0: we would say, see you later. See yeah. ya.
2: And don't forget, it's, it's difficult to break through the skin, uh, but just smile. Teach the Hungarians how to smile, and they'll be happy to be your friend.
0: Teach the Hungarians how to smile? That's right. We what don't you?
2: really know how to smile, but we have to learn, and we will.
0: You two are very good at smiling. I would say that right now, and I'll say also, my very favorite Hungarian word because I think it's my only Hungarian word. See ya. See ya. Kósonom. Is that thank you? Well done. (laughs) Kósonom.
1: And don't forget Egeszegedre. (laughs) You should (laughs) practice whenever you come to Hungary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Egeszegedre.
0: After you've had your mineral spa and you've got a nice glass of heavy red wine, Egeszegedre. dráve. Nastrave. Nastrave. Cheers. Cheers. See ya. Thanks very much.
4: (laughs) Ni zama pl vezza, tu
0: What are the places or experiences that you recall most fondly from your travels? Tell us about the essence of your travels in a haiku poem. We have a link for sending them in to us in the radio tab at ricksteves.com. Here are some recent submissions we wanted to share with you.
4: Matt Harmon of Charleston, West Virginia wrote this poem while taking in the view from Arthur's Seat in Edinburgh. Steep, uphill rock path, breathless view red bridge spanning over Firth of Forth. Con Yeager from Anchorage, Alaska had an historical encounter along the ancient Roman Wall that separated Britannia from Caledonia. Romans, countrymen, hail the hills of history. Walk Hadrian's Wall. And Susan Bird from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, describes her first impression of London. A modern city, steeped in history and charm. When can I go back?
0: Again, we'd like to receive a haiku from you about your travels or send us a short brag about your hometown. Look for details from our 15 Seconds of Fame link. It's in the radio corner at ricksteves.com. Okay, now that we're all relaxed from the spas and the wine of Hungary, let's face the bracing winds of the Scottish Highlands and Islands. Our next flight lands in Edinburgh, where we'll meet tour guide Anne Doig. But like our foray into rural Hungary, we're skipping the city and heading directly for the hills to experience the rugged Scottish landscape and meet its hardy people. This is where family clans remember their history and even weave it into the plaid designs they wear in their kilts. If you're looking to experience Scotland in a remote and rugged and natural, beautiful kind of way, I think you need to go farther north than Edinburgh. Everybody goes to Edinburgh. It's a great city. But I want to talk about the Scottish Highlands and the islands. And we're joined by a Scottish woman who's a guide and takes groups all over the highlands and the islands. Anne Doy comes to us from Edinburgh. Anne, thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. So, Anne, we all hear the lowlands and the highlands in Scotland. What's the difference? Well, the difference is the lowlands of Scotland is actually a rift valley between two boundary fault lines and north and west of the Highland Boundary Fault line of the Highlands. In between that is the Lowlands, and that's where they found the coal, the ironstone, the oil, and that's where the Industrial Revolution took place. So you have two-thirds of the population of Scotland living in what we call the Central Belt, or the Lowlands, or the Rift Valley, and then the Highlands of Scotland lie north and west of that, and everybody thinks about Scotland, you think about the bagpipes and the kilt, and that was the culture of the Scottish Highlands. So that's interesting. It's a geological
0: thing, and yes. the blessed area from an economy would be the lowlands. Exactly. Where you have more industry, yeah. more, more population. Yes. Closer to England, really. Yes, in, in every way, yeah, Anglified, absolutely. Physically and culturally. And culturally, yeah. So if you're looking for Scotland in the extreme, if you're looking for these clichés of Scotland, you go to the north. You
3: go to the Highlands, yeah. The Highlands.
0: You're a big city Scottish person. When you think of the Highlands, what do you think of?
3: Well, I think about the scenery uh, and the landscape, which second to none, as far as I'm concerned. The further north and west you go, the more spectacular it becomes. There's a fretwork of islands off the west coast of Scotland. There's about 700 of them, and they're all different. And the scenery from the islands are from, some of the islands are quite low-lying, but then you get beautiful views of the rest of the islands and the mainland. And it's like Billy Connolly once said, when you get to the Scottish Highlands, where is everybody? There's nobody here. It's it's empty, it's wild, and even the island of Mull is very popular, but the ferries are full of people, and as soon as you get there, they've all gone. They've just disappeared. There's so much wildness. It's true that the land is so vast that it it absorbs groups of people. Exactly. And it's
0: very close to just feel the wind and almost feel the spirit of Scotland's
3: past. Exactly. You can feel it. There's nobody here! So
0: basically you've got the Highlands, which is the rugged northern mainland of Scotland, Mm -hmm. and then the islands. These are called the Hebrides, is that right? Yeah. This would be where you'll find sparse population, rugged uh, economy probably, a a difficult economy outside of tourism, and you'll find the clichés of Scottish life. Frankly, there's a lot of touristic cliches that are just in your face as a tourist, uh, and it's kind of off-putting. I think yes. the, the Royal Mile in Edinburgh is becoming <laughs> just kind of a kind of a commercial gauntlet. Blame and, Walter
3: Scott for that. <laughs> and, and
0: you'll drive down the road, and uh, even outside of uh, Oban, you're driving around, and you see these bagpipers just standing there in the middle of nowhere, uh, piping, busking. Uh, and busking, and they're busking yeah. in the middle of nowhere, and that's fun, and it's a photo op, and you get to talk to these guys, and you can play their bagpipes, even. But if you're looking for real traditional Scotland, Scottish culture, how do you find it? Where do you go?
3: Well, you go to the islands, you go to the Northwest Highlands, you go to the small communities where there's a town hall and they'll have a ceilidh or a get-together. So what's a ceilidh? A ceilidh is a get-together for music, dance, gossip even, poetry, and they still have them. Now, I thought of a ceilidh as something in Ireland, but you have them in Scotland. We have them in Scotland, yeah. And they still have them, and they started to try and have them for the tourists in Edinburgh and it just didn't work. No, because it's
0: frustrating when you go to Edinburgh. I try to find these Scottish folk evenings and they come and go and none of them work economically and those that do are pretty kitschy. Yes. But you're saying you could go to a small town in the north of Scotland, one that has essentially no tourism, Mm -hmm. and find a Cayley design, not for tourists, but for locals. For the
3: locals, yeah. And they don't... Some of the men might wear the kilt, but there's one near where I live, well, where I grew up. We used to go when we were kids on a Saturday night and they have tea and sandwiches in Scottish country dancing and that everyone just goes as they go and it's it's fantastic. But they don't really advertise them, that's the problem. It's for them, it's for right. the community. And so the tourists don't get to see them. They only get to see the ones that are laid on, you know. Put on for the tourists. Put on for the has. tourists, yeah. But if you're
0: on the ball and you're staying at a and b and there's a Kaylee happening, uh, yes, you could find, find it. And would, yes. be, would a tourist be welcome to drop in? Oh, absolutely.
3: Absolutely. absolutely. So yeah. what, what would happen,
0: actually? Is this after dinner? Is there drinking? Is there live music?
3: Well, when I used to go to them, there was no drinking, but everyone got sort of stoked up in the pub beforehand. <laughs> okay.
0: So that was just a, an etiquette that they wouldn't be serving alcohol They at didn't. The Not in
3: my day, but I'm getting quite right. old now. It might have changed. But we used to go to the pub first, uh-huh. and then it was tea and sandwiches and dancing.
0: What is Scottish dancing?
3: Well, reeling, basically. You join hands, you go around in yeah, circles. Yeah, because you see
0: the girls with the curly hair that are popping up and down. Is That's that essentially it. Scottish dancing?
3: Exactly. And it, it's um, it can be very complex. My 86-year-old mother still goes to a Scottish country dance class. Really? And it keeps your brain going. And she's yes. hopping up and down. She's hopping up and down. I mean, some of the dances are so complex That it keeps your brain going. In fact, there's a ball in Edinburgh, the Piper's Ball, and we'd get together and practice for four weeks before we go to the ball.
0: All right. So our steps are right. So Scottish culture is alive and well, especially if you know where to
3: find it. Exactly.
0: There's more with Anne Doig on the character and bagpipes of the remote Highlands and Islands of Scotland in just a moment. It's travel with Rick Steves.
4: Is Michi Ash McLuhan from Glencoe? Co. Is traveling with Rick and Steves. And that is Scots Gaelic, the old Scots language, and I'm saying my name is Arthur Smith from Glencoe in the Highlands and I'm travelling with Rick Steves. And in Scottish again is Mish Arthur McGuvlan from Glencoe in Alba and I'm travelling with Rick Steves. I can't put Rick Steves in Gaelic, no, so no. I'd love to. but It's according to my visit with you, but very agreeable.
0: My visit with you was very agreeable. Thank you, Arthur, from Scotland. Thank you. You'll find traditional Scottish culture alive and well when you venture into the wild highlands and ferry out to the remote islands off the western and northern coasts of Scotland. Our guide to the traditions and offbeat wonders of Scotland is Anne Doig. Now, Anne, the Cayley is the intimate little uh, hoedown if you want a big clan gathering. We always hear mm-hmm. about these clan gatherings. Some mm-hmm. of them are on TV and some of them are mm-hmm. just big, big ornate affairs. Others are more humble. What's your advice for a traveler wanting to connect with uh, a clan gathering?
3: Well, it depends on your clan. The most famous one takes place in the first Saturday of September in Balmoral because the Queen attends. And Princess Diana used to attend, so everyone liked to go to them. But they have them all over in the summer months. Um, so it's a summer thing. It's a summer, yeah. Now, yes. there must be
0: countless clan gatherings, and frankly, I don't want to go to the one the Queen's at and everything. I just want to find a little, humble clan gathering. How do you learn about that?
3: Well, actually, there's one in Aviemore. It's, it's quite small, but it's the Grant clan. It's called Nethy Bridge, and guess what? Bob Dylan has got a house near there. He was made an honorary graduate of St Andrew's University, and when he was in Scotland, he bought a house. So he might be at the (laughs) clan gathering there. What
0: what is the history of the clan gatherings? Why do they exist?
3: Well, it it goes all the way back to the 11th century when King Malcolm gathered up his strongest men for for his army, the ones that could run fastest up the hill and tossing of the caber, they, they threw things.
0: So there still is these, these military games running across the hills and throwing they big have timbers a, and Yes, they, they have the hill
3: run. They still do it, throwing stones, tossing the caber, and it, it was the king choosing the strongest and the flightest of food. Oh, no, so
0: it was a way for village boys to show off how strong they were to earn their way into to the military. The, yes. Interesting, because today it really is a way to show off your strength. Exactly. In so many ways, whether it's running across the hill. Is it called fell running?
3: Hill running. hill running, hill running. What is hill running? They have a running? hill. They have a hill race. It's called the hill race, yeah. and most of them still do it. At Bremar, there's a big hill, and they literally run up that hill, and they practice all year.
0: And there's no but, trails. You've got holes, and you've got ridges. You've got heather and,
3: got and ridges and everything. It's so
0: cross country running and uphill. It's an ankle break, and I they would can
3: think. do it in about thirty-seven minutes. It's amazing. And to see that is quite striking. And, and talk about tossing the caber. Well, the caber was a, was a trunk of a tree. It's like a telephone pole. It's like a telephone pole, exactly. And you have to, you have to pick it up, which is hard, and then you've got to throw it as far as you can. And then, um, what's the name of the other Hurling one? that, uh, yes. that, uh, it's
0: like a mace or something. I, yeah, I the mace. A mace you're around, you're yes. throwing. <laughs> yes. And then you've got the big stone. What's the big stone contest?
3: Putting the shot. It's okay. called a shot.
0: So shot putting. We know that. Yes. And that goes back to clan gatherings. Yes. It was King Malcolm. Now the clan gatherings are still, a chance for extended families to get together yes. and it's mostly in the summer mm-hmm I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Scottish Highlands and the Scottish Islands, where we'll find Scottish culture in its most vivid and traditional uh, sense. And we're joined by Anne Doig, who's a Scottish woman who lives and works in Edinburgh, takes groups all over Scotland. What should we be sure to see in the north of Scotland?
3: Well, I think to see the, the ruggedness and experience that Celtic culture uh, Mull, the island of Mull. Really? Because People yes, just go
0: through Mull to get to Iona, but you'd just stop on Mull for a while.
3: Yes, because uh, the Victorians killed all our birds of prey and they've been reintroduced. And that's where you see the golden eagle. And I've seen a golden eagle attacking a deer on Mull, and it's really amazing. This is the, sea uh, the, eagles, isle, the, the island, island of, of Mull. M-U-L-L.
0: Yeah. When you say the Victorians, you mean the English people who lived during the reign of Victoria from, what, 1840 so, to 1900, yes. something like that. The Victorians came up. Wow. So the Isle of Moll. How does the Isle of Moll compare to the Isle of Skye?
3: Well, scenically, I would say it's not as spectacular, but it's one of those things. It's like a malt whiskey. People will discuss it. It's your own personal taste. But to me, the coolant hills of Skye, you can't beat them. They're so just for brilliant. scenic beauty, go to Skye,
0: S-K-Y-E. S-K-Y-E. But for culture and uh, yes, heritage, you'd Yes, there's a
3: beautiful a little village called Tobermori. There's Iona and there's the wildlife because they've reintroduced the... The golden eagle and the sea eagle there. Okay.
0: Now, if you're thinking about towns in the highlands, uh, what comes to mind? Fort William, uh, Inverness, Glencoe. How do these towns you? I would strike go you? for
3: Alapool or Pitlochry is in the central highlands. Close to Edinburgh, but you get a taste of the Highlands. The scenery is lovely.
0: And is great because you have a good whiskey experience there.
3: Yeah, so two distilleries there.
0: I mean, everywhere you go, they're trying to get you into these whiskey distilleries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you only want to choose a couple. Which would you choose for somebody wanting to learn about Scotch whiskey?
3: Uh, Edradour and Pitlochry, Glen Turret near Creef, um, Glenlivet is not far from Inverness, Or Talisker on the Isle of Skye. And Oban. Oban's very popular, and you've got a lovely town there as well. It's a a beautiful stop in Oban. Mm. And Oban is the springboard to the islands. Yes, so if you go to Oban, there's a distillery there, and it's the springboard to the islands. Now, the
0: highlands are cut in half by the Caledonian Canal. Yes. Uh, In the same way we have the Panama Canal, that saves ships a chance to have to go all around South America. In the 19th century, they cut right across Scotland, so boats didn't have to go all the way around the Orkney Islands.
3: Yes. Well, it's 60 miles from top to bottom, 22 miles of man made cutting, and it's filled by locks, four locks, locks. So there is was uh,
0: what, 30, 40 miles of lakes, and then they identified, oh, we're just 20 more miles, and we've got the, whole, miles. the whole
3: island cut across. Exactly.
0: Who yeah. is the engineer? Thomas Telford. We're very proud of him. Telford is. You, you could run across his name everywhere. Yeah. And you got that one, there's a whole series of locks, right? What's that one yes. spot with all the locks?
3: Oh, Neptune's staircase. Neptune's <laughs> staircase. That is down so Fort sc- William. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah. So you
0: can check that out and you can tie that in with your chance to go to Urquhart Castle and take a look for Loch Ness That's monster. Right. Yes. And you can waste a few hours in the in the silly Loch Ness monster uh visitor centers. center and then you can carry on to more magical aspects of the Highlands further north. If you're traveling around Scotland and you want to find an evocative castle, Scotland has all these great castles. What castle gives you the most magical kind of ambiance.
3: Well, the one that's, uh has been most photographed and used for movies is called Ellen Donan. You want to say in English, Ellen Donan, but uh-huh. in Gaelic it's Ellen Donan. But inside, it was rebuilt so it's not such a great inside, but they used it for the filming of The World's Not Enough with Judi Dench and Piers okay, Brosnan. And that's mystical from the outside. Yeah, it's a fantastic castle from the outside. How about to outside. tour a
0: castle? Which castle would you tour? Because many castles are great on the exterior and pretty empty on the interior.
3: Well, for me, Glam's Castle and Codder Castle are my favorite castles. Glam's? Glam's, G-L-A-M-I-S, like Glamis. Okay, Both with Macbeth connotations. And Glam's Castle is still very much lived in. So I'm sorry, that's G-L-A-M-I-S. M-I-S. And then what was the other castle? Cawdor,
0: C-A-W-D-O-R. C-A-W-D-O-R. And I am fascinated with just the fact that the last battle fought on British soil, 1746, Culloden. To me, that battlefield is just incredible. The Culloden battlefield just outside of Inverness.
3: Yes, it's a, I would describe it as a very powerful place because if you are sensitive, you can feel the atmosphere there, even on a sunny day. Terrible things happened. The battle was over in under an hour and over a thousand Highlanders lost their lives. And it's really, a burial ground; they're all buried there. It's a
0: burial ground for Scottish hopes, wasn't it?
3: Yes. Oh well, for Jacobite hopes. Jacobite yes. hopes
0: for Scottish independence, or that's what the. Well, that's thinks. what everybody thinks. Yeah.
3: yeah. No, Jacobites were the followers of the House of Stuart who wanted to put uh, the, the Stuart kings back on the throne of Britain, and uh, Bonnie Prince Charles is known as in Scotland. In Scotland Prince Charles Edward Stuart was trying to put his father back on the throne of Britain. And he landed in Scotland, gathered an army in the Highlands because they were a bit disappointed by the government. But there was a lot of lowland Scots. So there's more to it than uh, Scottish. Yeah, and there were Jacobites in England it, as well. In part it, was it was a pro- civil uprising. A sorry civil uprising, It yeah. was a
0: civil uprising. And was it a Catholic-Protestant thing?
3: A wee bit. <laughs> because the French were on the side. Of the Jacobites, that's of, right. Of the Jacobites. Because they were always quite happy to make a nuisance of themselves in mainland Britain. Just to bother London. Yes, The people had been given titles by the Stuarts. Now, some of them were Catholic, some of them weren't. But the people who supported the old kings were the Jacobites, and they were in England as well as in Scotland. So it was a civil
0: uprising. Now, when I'm walking across the, the windy battlefield of Culloden, and I think of the valiant struggles of people for whatever cause, and I can't even figure out all the causes, but it's just, there's something not only mystical, but almost... Spiritual or something about when you walk around Scotland. Do you know what I'm talking about? When yes, you're up in the far north of Scotland.
3: Lord Macleod of Foonery said that he felt that Iona was a thin place. Meaning, now, so
0: first of all, Iona is where uh, Saint Columba brought Christianity from Ireland to Scotland, Scotland. and that was back in uh, the sixth century, in the five hundreds. Mm-hmm. He he left Ireland and for some complicated reason and he was going to settle down in the first place he saw land mm-hmm. and right across from Ireland you've got this island on the west of Scotland, Iona, I-O-N-A. So he built this abbey here mm-hmm. and that was from that springboard St. Columba and his soldier, priest, monks or whatever mm-hmm. Christianized Scotland. Scotland yeah. yeah. And that little monastery thrived until the Vikings marauded right. and came and just slaughtered them all yes. in the 800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today this sort of spirit of early Christian monks and so on You feel that. Now, what is the thinness of Iona? What is that about?
3: (laughs) Well, there's nothing left of the original Columba community, but there was a big abbey built there which was ruined, and a chap called Lord MacLeod of Foonery, who was a bit like Columba, he rebuilt it and formed a community, and he said Iona was a thin place, meaning that there was a thin membrane between the physical and the spiritual, and it was a place of retreat because you could really... Attach yourself to the spiritual really easily. And I would say that's like the whole of Scotland, no. the highlands and the islands. When I went to Iona for my mm. first time, I had, heard, <laughs> I,
0: I had heard that there was a special spirituality about the, about the atmosphere of the place. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds kind of creepy or spooky or something like that. But I got there, and there is a beautiful, peaceful spiritual quality about the place, about the people, about the ruins, Mm -hmm. about the monastic communities that are still there, Mm -hmm. about the people who go there on the retreats and so on. Mm -hmm. Iona, which is a very good day trip from the town of Oban, O-B-A-N, is a great experience if you uh, are at all curious about that slice of the story of Scotland. But what I like what you said is there's a thinness about northern Scotland, the highlands in general.
3: Uh, Yes, I think so. It's my opinion.
0: And how do you get that? Uh, You can go hiking in the mountains. How do you get close to nature in Scotland, in the Highlands?
3: Very easily. Once you're north of the River Forth, 20 miles north of the River Forth, you're in the Highlands, even in Perthshire. And like I said, Billy Connolly said, there's nobody here. You can go up a hill and, and the mountains are easy, to, mountains climb, right? are easy to climb, right? The highest Chihallion. one is three thousand feet or something. The Monroes are over three thousand feet. So and there's
0: nearly three hundred hills of over three thousand feet, 3, feet yes. that you can climb and that's where you can get this windy brave heart kind of feeling in yes. Scotland, I would think.
3: You go up and they're so ancient, particularly further up in the northwest where it gets really, really rugged. And if you climb some of those hills, It makes all your problems seem a little smaller because these hills have been around for so long, you feel that um, you're quite small.
0: There's so much to talk about, and we're not even going to talk about the Loch Ness Monster. No, this is great. (laughs) We're not going to go there. There's so much more. Let's talk about some practical stuff. First of all, midges.
3: Oh, they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. What are they? they? Well, they're attracted to carbon dioxide. So when you breathe, they like you. And it's the female, of course, that's so the most vicious. So in the summer, vicious. these are the, the, little, summer. the little,
0: we call them in America, no see You no-see-ums. call them no
3: And they they live in the heather and the vegetation. If are you they have... little mosquitoes
0: or they Tinier. They're just,
3: they're just tiny little... They
0: say if you kill one midge, a million of them them come, come to, to the funeral. funeral. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> if there's a wind, there's no problem, which happens a lot. That's good advice. But in the summer, that's when you'll have your midge problem. So you want Klein to... July in August. Get some repellent or... Repellent, yeah. Go outside on a windy day or something like that. What do you learn from a surname? I mean, we all know Mac, like McDonald. Son means of. That means son of. Like Donald son yeah. would be the same thing as McDonald. Do you know when, when you hear somebody's surname where they're from or their, what yes. class their family was in or who their sympathies were?
3: Yes. Well, I like would, but um, their Highland names, Max come from the Highland uh, and that's from the Gaelic, from the Irish. Actually, Donaldson or Anderson is Scandinavian because the, the Vikings colonized the western seaboard and made a great sea kingdom from Norway all the way down to the Isle of Man. So they didn't
0: just kill the monks on Iona, they settled in there and Well, they took, settled, they the colonized and raised families.
3: Yes, and there's a lot of the Nicholson, for example, a lot of people think they're Scottish, Anderson, they're all Scandinavian names. Is there
0: a Scottish language like there is an Irish language?
3: Well, Scottish Gaelic. There's only 60,000 people speak Scottish Gaelic, mm-hmm. but the language Lallan Scots was spoken In the lowlands, um, when the Angles and Saxons invaded from Northumbria, Mm -hmm. they brought Angle and it developed like a cousin language from English. Hmm. Now, at the time of the union with England, everybody who was anybody adopted standard English to get ahead in the world. And so it tends to be the less educated people speak Lalan Scots.
0: Okay. So you want a job in the big city, you better uh, cover that up. You have to speak the standard
3: English. English. Yeah. So you might find people in your bed and breakfast speaking the vernacular, which was Lallan Scots, which the king would have spoken at one time, but seventeen o seven saw the end of Lallan Scots, and if you wanted to make it in the world, you had to speak standard English. Tell me
0: about the hairy coos.
3: The hairy coos—they're Highland cows, and they're gorgeous. When my son was little, he always reminded me of a baby Highland cow. They, you call them bangs; right. we call them a fringe over their eyes. And there's practical reasons. That's, That's right. Keep the Highland cows have bangs, don't they? Bangs. It's Fringes. to keep the midges out and the wind in the winter. Ah, very That nice. was to protect them from the midges. But it's the, they're the oldest breed I read somewhere in the world. The breed hairy, of cow-
0: the hairy coos. hairy coos. And you said the islands are like Scotch whiskey. There's a hundred different varieties and everybody has their favorite. Take us to your favorite island and just, what's it like?
3: Well, I have to say, it's the, it's the island of Arran, which is southwest and the Highland boundary fault. Cuts right across it. So the north is the highlands and the south is the lowlands. Mm-hmm. And I just find the people, the scenery is amazing. You've this got is the island of Aran. A R R A N. That's right. Immediately uh, s- west of Glasgow. That's right. It's mm-hmm. in the Firth of Clyde and it's uh-huh. my favourite. Why? Because the north you've got the scenery. That's where you see golden eagles. Fantastic. South is rolling lowlands like the lowlands. And the people are just really amazing. It's the influence of the Irish. So many Irish people came. Glaswegians are really warm. The Glaswegians pour out of Glasgow every weekend. They've got holiday houses there. There's seven golf courses, and I like to play golf. And they all have a good time. They like to party, and they're just lovely people. And it's not just scenery for me. It's people, and the island of Ireland has the loveliest people.
0: And if you were there and you met a traveller like one of our listeners and you wanted to give him a Robbie Burns kind of uh, best wishes in your best Scottish brogue, what would you say?
3: <laughs> Lang may your lum reek. <laughs> that means l- long may your chimney smoke, which means uh, if you've got uh, a fire in your chimney, you're prosperous. Beautiful. Say it again in Scottish. Lang may your lum reek. Reek means smoke.
0: <laughs> long may your chimney smoke. smoke. That's it. Well, you too. Thank you. I you so much. much, and happy travels in Scotland. Thank you. It's a lot of keeps it the cold, and drives a water winter soon. It marks a man with gush and bald, and he is so beyond the moon. Then fling on calls and break the ribs. beat
4: the spin button pad. The much in stupid huts but ribs, then let's get to the tar at hand.
0: here right to land
4: Ooh. travel with rick steves is produced by tim tatton with sarah mccormick at europe through the back door in edmonds washington thanks for technical help to andrew wakeling and robin cronin and to keith Sticklemeyer for reading today's travel haiku our theme music is by jerry frank You'll find many interviews from past editions of the show arranged by the countries we discuss, plus Rick's European walking tours. They're available to download your portable player or smartphone. Look for the Rick Steves Audio Europe links on the front page of our website at ricksteves.com. And join us again next week for more Travel with Rick Steves.
0: Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks and phrasebooks for Eastern Europe and every other corner of the continent. You'll also find guidebooks for London, England, Great Britain, Scotland and Ireland. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.